0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We caught up early today with Dan, Major CEO at Govx Uranium TSXB. Listed uranium explorer with assets in Africa. Uh, We talk about the PFS numbers, the recent cash raise, state of the market, and their plans for moving things forward on all three projects. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from around the world, including our weekly Uranium show. Uh, You've got training courses on there to help you with your own diligence process. We've got summaries of interviews that we do, all of them, uh, just to save you some time because we know you're busy. And if you want to join a thriving group of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse, uh, you can go and join them at cruxinvestor.com. slash club Daniel Major, how are you, sir? Very good, very strong, ready
1: to move with this day.
0: Very, very strong. Okay, <laughs> okay then. <laughs> but just I'm fairly good. Today's good. Today's I good. To talk to you, so it's got to be good. It, indeed, indeed. Good, good. I like that. I like that. Um, what have you been up to? How How's your week been? It's been kind be amazing announcements in the marketplace. What are you making of it all?
1: Oh, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and It's interesting, of course, that Denison was the first one out because it's very UPC of them, of course. Uh, So I assume UPC will be following suit at some stage to do the same thing. And and interesting to see uh, EUC uh, come out and do a slightly different variant of the same thing. But yeah, good. You know, the the market needed a bit of a shake up. And clearly, you know, when your equities are sitting up at those values and your commodity is touching at a big discount to it, Made some sense. Made some sense. Um, you know, and I think you saw Kazatomprom as well come out yesterday with Air Commons. They're sticking with the story all the way along. They were making comment that, you know, the transaction they've just done with Yellowcake means they will be in the market as well to make up the material. They've got their inventories, what, down to six point six thousand tons, which is at the low end of the range they want to hold inventory at. So you know that's one of the messages we're kind of getting to people is guys the inventories are just disappearing out here. We're getting to that point where you know it was an inventory-driven story historically. it was a, that was our problem, but inventories are they're disappearing, um, and at some point you know people actually have to dig the stuff out of the ground.
0: They do, they do. Do you th- do you not know, think it's a bit of a distraction for someone whose day job is trying to develop a mine to go about go and uh, set up a well es- essentially? A physical um, uranium fund.
1: Uh, look, you know, certainly with with Denison, you know, they already manage UPC, so you know, it doesn't take a lot for them to fit it in with their day job um, and work that through. So I wouldn't have thought that is a, a big problem. And you know, from a value point of view, if you think the uranium price is is, is that low and you put that money into the commodity and you know, and Denison's got a lot of cash. Um, so you know, a year from now, the uranium price is now thirty-five forty. Um, and they're looking for equity that they need for their project. Well, what a good investment. Better than putting it in the bank, getting negative interest rates.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um just wanna yeah. I'll leave. I'll leave that conversation for another day because I think that's a bigger topic. When we sort of see how it rolls out and see if other people try and follow suit, it'll be it'll be be interesting to to work out. Um, And obviously, a lot of people raising money in the market as well. We should probably discuss at some point. Um, But the the mood seems positive.
1: Well, I think overall it is. I think you know while we do not see the uranium price. Following through on our positivity, um, I, think our, I think as a, an industry, you have to kind of look at what's going on out there and going, actually, it just keeps getting better and better. Um, and the, the reality is, it ain't moving because nobody's shopping. Um, but as soon as people come and shop, and look at what happened yesterday when two of the companies come out and say, hey, we're going to buy some metal, the Uranium price suddenly shoots up $2 as a result of, of that action going on. And you know, if I revert back to my comment earlier about it's been an inventory story that we've been staggering through and we got wrong as an industry was just the sheer volume of inventory that was scattered through it. But you look where we are now and producer inventories are now almost non-existent, really. Uh, you know, You've always got to have some inventory. But, you know, Cameco in 2019 went through a big inventory sell down. They cleared out their stuff. They've obviously not been building any inventory, they've been doing the opposite. They're having to buy material in the market uh, with both of their mines closed. Um, They had, you know, apparently the biggest trades they have to do at the end of last year. So they're not actually in the market at the moment either. Uh, They don't need to really come to the market to buy. If you looked at inventories at utilities, they were coming down. Um, as well, 2018, 2019. Anecdotally, you can see that the utilities were probably underbuying last year, um, I and mean, particularly the US guys had all those politic issues to fight their way through. You know, Russian suspension agreements, fuel working groups, blah blah blah. You know, they had other things to worry about, and they had inventory. So just you know, and COVID. So protect your cash, use up some inventory. Uh, you've seen that in Europe as well. And then if you look at the back end, the secondary market, inventory's been disappearing from there as well. I mean, and that's just highlighted by the fact that the prices have gone up. And now you've got an industry at the back end that's worrying about capacity. You know, everyone you saw Metropolis being announced as a restart. It's like, oh shoot, we need conversion capacity now in this market again. Um and if there's capacity, it means there's no inventory around because people have got, I mean, if there was inventory, you wouldn't have to restart a project. So clearly, secondary inventory is going. And I was on a WNA fuel cycle meeting three or four weeks ago, and, and 10X were making the point that in five years' time, they will have to rely on primary uranium feed to do their conversion um, and enrichment from because they're running out of secondary material. So you kind of go through that whole pipeline of material of where it potentially is lying, and it's like, well, isn't it very much out there. Any more guys? Um, and this year, you know, you read UXC. What, forty percent down on utilities buying? Well, if no one's in the shop buying, it's not going to move the price. You know, and there are guys out there who are spot sellers. They can still spot. I mean, BHP, for example. You know, some Kazakh sales going through the Uzbek sales through Tocha and Maravani. You know, there are guys who can still make money at this price on their on their projects, particularly someone like a BHP. So there is some material coming into the market, but if you haven't, if it's not flush with buyers, there's always pressure. And I think you know the, the impact of the Denison announcement yesterday and, and UEC just shows you how tight that market is starting to get. When people are going to panic a two-dollar price rise into it on the back of somebody going to buy some material, you think like, hmm, it's getting tight out there
0: it's it, but it, it feels kind of gimmicky it feels a little bit gimmicky at the same time because it's it's going to have to frighten the market a heck of a lot the utility bar specifically a heck of a lot because the prices need to move 25 bucks for people to you know say well I, I will now commit to you know getting back to production right there mean, that's that's how far it's got to go but do you feel it will be that uh, yeah, hockey sir. stick type uh move when it yeah, does I think, but moving? i
1: think you've got to look at this in two ways from a uh, you know and from where Denison were and what they were trying to do here, as I said earlier, you know, if you think the uranium price is going to go from twenty-seven where it was yesterday up to fifty dollars, uh, that's a great return over the next couple of years. That better than that, and leaving the cash in the account. Um, and I know they raised money to do that in their case, rather than uh, well, I mean, we, everybody's raised money at some point, but no matter how they use their funds. But effectively, that's a pretty good return that you can then bring back around again and use as uh, as an equity stake going forward. So, yeah, I mean, is it the thing that needed to prod the market? Possibly, you know, um, they can't cut production clearly, but they can impact the way that it's doing. And you know, and and UPC has been doing the same thing, and Yellow Cake as well. So, yeah, slightly different for a producer to uh, you know a developer to do it. But you know, if that's what it's going to take to Tighten the market up, and at the end of the day, it's all about making returns. I mean, if and if a development company can make a return on the uranium itself, then why not make a return on the uranium itself?
0: Okay, well let's uh, again. Well, I guess we'll see how it kind of pans over the next few uh, weeks and months. Um, we better talk about you. That's why you came on, Govx. Let's talk Govx, Why not? Right? You're here.
1: Yeah. Why? Why, why not? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Came all this way. You sure. Yeah. Um, so last year, a uh, bit of a frustrating year for you in many ways. You're, you're having yeah. to get through the studies. You know, we, we, you've announced, well, one, you've recently announced a raise, which we'll talk about, and the PFS, which we'll talk about. But last year, that was a tough year.
1: It was. It was a very frustrating year um, last year just to get things through that we wanted to do. Um, you know, fortunately, some of our shareholders are very patient, uh, some are less patient. Uh, but, you know, it, it, these things take time um, and, and you, you know, there are projects and you don't want to rush them. I mean, there was no reason to go crazy and just rush the process because quote the Uranium prices. I mean, it, it, we couldn't trigger that part of the process off and obviously we had the issues in Zambia as well and some things just have their own time frame that you just can't make go any faster. And, uh, you know, the PFS just did take longer than we were expecting it to do. and We were impacted by COVID. I mean, it had. It wasn't the only reason um, that we had out there. I mean, certainly at the beginning of the whole process, because all our test work was being done in South Africa, uh, you had various shutdowns and rolling power cuts, which don't really help either when, you know, someone's got a milling program going and then suddenly it's turned the power off on you. Um, also, the restrictions on the people who could work in the laboratories just slowed things down. But also, you know, Matthew, some things just don't work. You know, you try it and you've got to try something, see if it works. If it works, great. Um, you you move on on that. And if it doesn't, was like you go back to the drawing board again and go, hmm, want to try something else. You know, something else has come out of this. Let's try it and see what it what was doing. You know, we set ourselves on that PFS, some very clear things that we wanted to change, do. And we, we looked at the PFS more as a debt story than an equity story. It was very much trying to look at that project and going, how can we... Upgrade this project from a debt perspective, so when I have to take that to the debt because they're tougher than the equity side in my view they look at things in a different way um, and you're trying to say how do I make it simpler how do I make it work better how do I get the cash flows better in the first year and more importantly because we have the open pit and the underground project it's let's try and silo the project as an open pit project so that's what the debt guys We'll look at the equity guys will want to see the whole package, but the debt guys want to see that. So it was like make the open pit as good as possible and as simple as possible. So you know that's where we went with a lot of the test work as well, which is you know trying to do that, simplify that process plan, get the recoveries if we can. We we ended up getting a bit too complex, which is why we had to come back. And then we realized actually we were going way too complex. And we had to come right back to very simple. But what we did learn from the test work is a lot of those things that we had learned actually applied to the underground mine. So it allowed us to get that plant design, the what we wanted for the open pit, and then use the new tech ideas, new test work results, the radiometric sorting, uh, the reverse flotation, to say, hey, we can actually run the open that. Through and it fits really well and it reduces the acid consumption. So it wasn't wasted. Uh, none of it was wasted. We learned a lot in the whole process, um, you know, and we have still got some thoughts out there, but now we have a very straightforward process plan.
0: But are, um, you, are you, I know you learned a lot and it's great to learn a lot and it's even better if it affects the bottom line. Are you where you want to be with the PFS or were you hoping for more?
1: Um, look, you always hope for more. I mean, you always set yourself some benchmarks of what you're trying to do. What we've got is a project here that you know, looks really good at $55. We ran all of the pit optimization and all the underground mining was done at a cutoff grade based on $50. So we made sure that everything could be mined at $50. So that was a good result. We brought our operating costs down by a lot, particularly up front. So that was a positive for us. Would I have liked to have cut more capital out at this stage? Yes, but I think going back and doing another review of what we're doing now, we certainly feel that we were probably conservative in our design for the plant, particularly, and that there are further steps that we can go. Um, so, you know, we've got a good project where it is, it's better than it was, um, and it's now really straightforward, uh, which is, again, a key, you know, don't be too clever, you've got to build it. Um, you know, go go for the four-piece puzzle rather than the four hundred-piece puzzle if it will work. But
0: do you think that your current shareholders, that I'm talking with the institutional guys, um, and the market is now accepting that you will get this thing into production? It is economic at fifty-five or fifty, um, and that you will be putting pounds into the market at some point down the line. This is no longer. Just another uranium junior mining story. Oh,
1: uh, yeah. I mean that's absolutely the approach we're we're on. And I think that's what we came away. And sitting down with my board and presenting it. they were they were very happy with the result that we got. And, and they were like, right, let's get on with the next stage. And you'll see that coming. We will go start the drilling that we need to do for the molybdenum resource now. So that's something I've been holding back on simply because it's quite an expensive piece of work. You know, diamond drilling is never cheap at any at any time. So, you know, it's something we're saying, look, let's do that when we're ready to do it. And so the commitment is to get on and, and start doing that drilling now. And that allows us to then push this thing straight through into an FS. So I'm going into an FS now um, on this project um, and moving it forward ready. Because I, I certainly believe that market is out there. That, you know, we've you've seen we've changed the board as well. The new board members have come on very, you know, very you know well let's talk let's talk
0: about let's talk about them in a second. Okay. I just wanna want to stay on this point because okay, you you've got a couple of uranium projects, you've got a gold project. I think we Hmm. we should talk about the gold project in a second as well. But Niger Leave it leave it it, park it to one side because I want to know what you're gonna be doing with for sure but um not right now. Um Niger it used to be seen as problematic. You know that I think a lot of feedback you're getting in the marketplace, oh Niger is very difficult. Place to do business. But obviously, there's long decades of uh, uranium production with Arano in country. Is that now being seen as a positive in the conversations that you're having? Um, from our perspective,
1: I've always been a very big supporter of Niger publicly. You know, you see me at conferences, whatever, I'm always standing out there with my Nigerian flag and, and waving it because I, I, I think anyone's perception that Niger is a difficult place is, is, hasn't been there. Um, it is actually pretty straightforward um you know it is a country that's very mining orientated because of the uranium mining um, that goes on in there uh, the government understands very clearly the uranium market i mean they used to sell uranium and and, and as well a lot of the people within government used to work at some point uh, for irana uh, or river including the president um So, you know, and you've seen with our ability to get mining permits, you know, and our neighbours as well down at Global Atomic, you know, getting permitted is is always a tough part in any industry. And you've got a government here who's like, no, let's get on and and do things. You know, one of the, the issues across Africa mining has always been this issue of VAT collection on exports. And governments who've taken the money, collected it, and then spent it, and then realised they owe you know hundreds of millions of dollars back to the mining companies. I mean, uh, and and that's become well, the Nigerians just cancelled the tax. <laughs> just said if we don't collect it, we can't misspend it, so. Great, perfect. What great way of dealing with it. And so they kind of changed the rule on that and said, no, just get on with this. So you know the mining code hasn't changed since two thousand and six. They've seen no reason to change the code at all, and so everything has sort of remained very stable. Um, so you know, I think Niger and and as a as a commodity as well, you got to remember this as a commodity. Nigerian uranium is well known. You know, it's been coming out since the seventies, and it doesn't just go into France. I mean, the Nigerians under their agreements with um, Arano, actually had a part of the material came to themselves. So, they were selling it into the US, for example. Um, so, it's a product that's well well understood, well known, everybody knows what it is. Um, so, you know, having another Nigerian mine or 2 mines getting going, wouldn't be fully expected.
0: And what's happening with Kamanak at the moment?
1: Komenak, uh, it has 14 days left. Right. Two weeks. There you go. End of this month. That's it. It's finished. Uh, close the doors. Lights off. Done and dusted. Any so
0: they've
1: been they've been stripping out the pillars for a long time, um, and uh, closing that mine down.
0: Right. Okay. So, but there's no there's no kind of upside for you or or global in terms of how you can benefit from any of that. No,
1: it's an old old plant. I mean, it was. Started running in 1971. It is an old plant. It's very tired. But more importantly, the board of directors of of Cominac, which includes um, Sierra so is what 34%. You've got OURD in there. You've got a Nusa and you've got the Niger government. And the decision was to just close it. Um, so they've been set, offering up equipment out of there for sale.
0: Um, so if anyone wants some underground equipment for a mine, then they should just go. contact Heron. One careful owner. Um, yeah. But let's let's talk about narrative, okay? Because last year was all about COVID. The year before that was all about terrorist incursions from Mali. I'm assuming because of COVID that one the narrative changed because no one was travelling and uh, no one wanted um, you know, to come into contact with other people, so it was a bit more noticeable. So that that whole discussion seems to have gone away in terms of doing business in Niger. And just, just to carry on your theme about doing business in Niger.
1: Well, I mean, no, yeah, but the Sahel always has its problems regarding terrorism. I mean, it, it's just a function of the Sahel uh, and that has been going on for a very, very long time. Um, and it hasn't gone away, but you are literally looking at small border pots of area where you're de- dealing with it. So, uh, whether you're against the Mali Burkina Faso border or you're against the N- Nigeria Chad border over in Diffa, those are your two hotspots. But, you know, it's a 1,200 kilometers from Niamey, the capital, to our site. You know, it's a really, really long way. Um, it does take a while to drive. Um, and so, you know, yes, there are issues in those areas, but do they affect us? Not at all. Um, you know, we just carry on operating. The other thing, don't forget as well, is that we run a 100% Nigerian process um, going forward. Um, and that's, again, reduces the risk. We're seen as a Nigerian company. All the way along, and I think it's a good sign as well that you've just had the presidential elections go through, and you know there's a dispute going on, but expect Bazoum to become the president. He, the last president, has stood down after his two terms, and we have had democratic elections go through, and we have will have a new president approved uh, by the end of April. Um, and the country will carry on in that way. So, you know, uh, that's a really good step forward for a country like Niger to move forward on democratic elections, which is a real positive.
0: Okay. So Bassem, good guy?
1: Yeah, very good. Okay, He used to be the foreign minister as well. He's um, a gentleman you'll see quite often dressed in a suit and a tie, so it kind of gives you some indication of uh, the kind of background he has.
0: Right. Okay. Let's come back to um, the... PFS. So give me give me some of the broad numbers that we should be looking at.
1: So in there we we brought down the operating cost up front um to about nine just under nineteen dollars a pound. That does not include the royalties. So you've got to add the royalty back onto that, but that's where it is. It does include the Molly credit. Um the CapEx came down to three forty-seven in the first two years for the construction period from three fifty-nine. But what you then look at is there was additional capital in the old plant that came in as we phased capital in. So you, if you look at it over the first five years, we took almost eighty million dollars of capital out of the project as well. So there's a big step forward on the cash generation that comes through the project life of mine at fifty five has got an EBITDA at about uh, just under eighty million dollars. So it's once it gets up and running, it's just a cash cow. Uh, for us, uh, it can pay for its underground mine to come through. It's slightly smaller from a tonnage throughput. So, we were previously putting in 1.4 million tonnes per annum. We brought it down to a million tonnes per annum. As you drop the price, obviously your cutoff grade goes up. So, your grade goes up. So, from an annualized uranium production perspective, we were averaging 2.69. We're now averaging 2.48 million pounds per annum. So, not a lot of difference, really. It's pretty much the same project. Uh, but it's a lower cost project. But the key is the process plant. Before we had uh, ablation in there, that was a key. Get rid of it. You know, it, not because we don't believe ablation works, but it's not proven anywhere. And in fact, a, the t- ablation technology is now owned by a gravel company in Wyoming. Um, so you know, yeah, don't don't go there. <laughs> and then we're using solvent extraction to get the molly recovery. Not a standard approach, it works, but it was not a standard approach, and we were not comfortable having a very large solvent extraction plant running in the middle of the Sahara Desert. So, you know, we got rid of ablation completely and we've replaced the solvent extraction with a pretty well industry standard iron exchange, which is lower cost as well. So, very much uh, simpler, lower cost, lower capital, um, and uh, yeah can get built very easily.
0: Just just so on the ablations are you saying the ablation technology that has been proven to work is owned by one company in Wyoming? Yes. Right. Are, are there other ablation techniques or companies out there who have yet to prove it works?
1: There is no commercial ablation system anywhere, Got it. Is the answer to that, which is why we took it out. Um does ablation work in principle? Yeah, it's just a very aggressive attrition system. That's all it is.
0: No, I understand it. We've, we've spoken to WUC um, yeah. um, in, it, well, I think they're in Wyoming, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are, yeah. yeah. They, they don't yeah. own it, do they? No. No, okay. A bit hard to work out. With I your had margins a very strange are.
1: conversation with a gentleman who does own <laughs> the IP. Right.
0: What are his views on how much he should charge for something like that?
1: Um, they're going in a different direction with it, uh, and and it's not even that, Matthew. At the end of the day, when you're taking a technology like that that's not commercial, you then go back and say, "Well, I want to bring it in." If you're now going to go through the credit committee of a bank, the credit sign-off, that's a lot of new test work that has got to be done. I, you know, and on top of that. It's Not just about doing test work, it's like, well, we're going to get the feed material to feed that test work. So now you've now got to source enough material from somewhere to feed that test work. And we just said, look, you know, that is that's a risk that's not worth going down uh, on this particular scenario. And at the end of the day, we didn't need it. So again, this PFS was about stripping out all of those risks. And the other thing we got rid of was five years of inflation. I mean, the last time we did a PFS was back in you know in 2015. So we've gone through five years of inflation and actually got a better project than we had originally, as well. So you know, there's a lot being achieved uh, under this PFS. Um, it just took a bit longer than we planned.
0: That's good. But sorry, just bear with me and humour me on the on the yeah, ablation no thing, which is, did you, with your conversation with the ablation owner, the technology owner? Did they indicate how they would want to charge you for using their technology?
1: No, because they are taking the technology in a different direction.
0: Okay, so they're not going to use it for uranium going forward. No, they are. They do aggregates. Got it. Okay, just wanted to understand. Thank you. Um, you've also raised some money, which Crikey Moses, I suspect six months ago you thought might be a bit harder to do.
1: <laughs> well, let's put it this way, you know. We've always raised what we felt was enough to keep the projects moving forward and adding value. We've not tried to raise exorbitant amounts of money and we're certainly not a company who likes to suddenly load up our coffers ridiculously uh, for no apparent reason. Um, We realised though that with the rising Uranium price, we obviously were going to have to commit to getting on with these projects Uh, and therefore we needed the capacity to get on and get these projects moving. Uh, a lot faster, and so yes, coming out to the market when we did, we felt that was the right time uh, and the right amount. So we put eight, eight Canadian uh, on the balance sheet at the beginning of this year. Uh, we have had a number of warrants exercised as well since then. So you know we've had you know a reasonable amount come in. So I I think I've got more cash on the balance sheet for GOVX than we've had since 2013. Right. So you know I'm in a good position. So. You know, people complain about warrants sometimes, but you know, they are a, effectively a, a subsequent fundraiser that comes through.
0: But how many of those warrants have come through and how many more to, to come?
1: Oh, we've had almost $2 million cash commit as a result of the warrant exercises and insiders doing their options as well.
0: Okay. And given the state of the market, you, have you got enough money to get through to where you, you need I to? I can to do
1: at least another 12 months. Right. Getting on with projects,
0: but what can you do? Can you you can't do a feasibility study with that? Can you? You can.
1: That's the plan. Interesting. That's the plan.
0: Okay.
1: Um, yeah, and I'm pretty cheap with money anyway, so we to try and get the we best know. value I
0: can out of it. We all know <laughs> that's not new news. Um, <laughs> um, okay, that's interesting. Well, like, okay, tell us about these two board members. I read the bios; they're quite brief. But why bring them on? What are they going to do for you?
1: Well, firstly, we have to thank the guys who, who left. They've been with us for a very long time, and as a board, it was felt that we really needed to to shake ourselves up um, as a board. Uh, and uh, Matthew and Robert, were, you know, were kind enough to step down, uh, and and they've been with us. I mean, Matthew actually was the first director of the company ever, um, so he was actually the first employee of the company back in two thousand six. So long time in the in the company, and it, it, you know, they've been great supporters for us, but. They the new people coming on. Um, we have uh, Selma. Uh, Selma's background, as, as highlighted there, is initially as a banker. She's actually a trained lawyer, uh, for uh, to start with. Uh, she worked for Societe Generale uh, for a long time, doing project financing uh, in the in the mining industry, uh, including the uranium sector. Back in her day, uh, doing that. So she then set up her own financial advisory business for a while, um, and then. Left there to really go and focus on investment and development in Africa. Um, so she's been through a number of projects, turned a fiber optic business around in the DRC, and currently has 900 people working for her under a large uh, cooperative business producing cashews out of uh, Côte d'Ivoire. So you know, I've got somebody there who's got a lot of experience in project financing in the mining industry, understands Africa well because she works throughout Africa. Um, lives in Côte d'Ivoire and London, goes back and forth. It's uh, so obviously French-speaking and English-speaking. So, you know, it, a great complement with someone like a Benoit LaSalle as well, who we've got sitting there, who's, you know, come at it from the different side, which is a mind developer and understanding all of those concepts. So, you know, for a company, it, it comes back to your question earlier about, you know, where to from here? Well, that's why we bring on people like Salma and Eric to say, right, What skills do we now need to drive us through to the the next stage? And a big chunk of this, you know, at the end of the day, I I have been in the banking industry and have some understanding of how it all works. And I'm an engineer, but, you know, you need those skill sets on board to project finance. uh, And that's why you have some. Eric's background is different. Um, He has been involved in the shipping business for a very long time, uh, made a lot of money with his family doing that. Uh, has been into a number of uh, other businesses. He also is the largest shareholder of a company called Leading Edge, which is a mining business. Um, So, you know, has that experience across a number of different, but a super smart guy as well, and understands particularly financing of businesses uh, using export credit out of Europe. So, you know, he comes with a different angle, but clearly a guy who understands how to get value out of things. Uh, going forward so yeah we've got you know we've got a really clever board now in my view of the, all the different skill sets that we need uh, financial technical etc and the market with you know obviously Dave Cates and UPC so you know we're well set now from a structural point of view at the board level uh, to drive it forward
0: well and also at 150 million you're a bit more interesting to people like that too I suspect um let's yeah, let's yeah. talk I, I thought it was interesting already <laughs> You need you need some new board members. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, you are very interesting at all times. Um, let, let's talk about gold in Mali and, and, and work out whether we should park that in a mouse. You're doing a little bit of work. To what end? You're not, You're not, You're a uranium company, not a gold company.
1: Yeah, uh, it goes back to our original conversation about what do you do as a company on the assets that you've got uh, and how you use those assets. We ended up looking at gold simply because we have three licenses down there. So we've got Philea, which is what the old Rockgate property was all based on. You've got the Barla the south of it. Now those two have what we call the road fault running through. So that's where your Uranium and the Uranium there, just to give you a quick bit of background, is an unconformity style. So you've got Borimian, you have a sandstone layer, and then you've got a Dolomite layer that sits on top. And you have to have that sandstone layer to catch the Uranium in it. Now we also have the Medini license, which is sitting on the, the East side. Uh, which we colour nice and green, which is appropriate because it's a greenstone. Um, so it has no sandstone layer at all, and except right down in the far south. And it's like, well, if you ever find anything down there, you're already off the license into the next guy's license anyway. So we looked at it and so said, well, we've got two choices here: we either give the license back because we'll never explore for it, or let's see if there's something in it and see if we can extract some value of it and sell it on to somebody else and option it out. So that's really why we got into the gold because we had an asset that really just was never going to be a uranium play. Uh, our uranium drilling there is quite deep. We have to go down three, 400 meters diamond drilling. Um, so, you know, we would really want to see quite a strong uranium market before we aggressively attack that project from a pure uranium perspective, particularly when we've already got great projects out there like Niger and Matanga, which we need to talk about as well. So it was a case of, look, let's. Let's get some value for this, maybe we'll get some cash in and we can use that to fund the Uranium project. So That's really why we went down that approach. Um, th- at the same time, that that kind of answers the Medini piece. Uh, the bit that we did at the end of last year on December, was it was partly driven by that because a couple of people we spoke to about Medini said, well, can we have the rest uh, as well if we do something with you guys? And we said, well, yeah, but you'll have to give us credit for the Uranium project that's standing there as well. Uh, and we felt it was an opportunity to kind of have a look down below. Because part of the problem with Philea is it's got 70g a ton of Silver and it's got 0.2% Copper in it. And so we started looking at it to say, we actually don't know enough about it as a Uranium exploration play, really. Um, And so we did the IP work that went with it. Um, And when we looked at it from a sort of planar point of view, it was very clear But the guys, there was a really good correlation between the IP and the uranium. And it was very clear that Rockey had never drilled any of the other targets at all. In fact, I don't think he knew what they were there because they just focused on the road fault. The other thing is when you look at it from a geological point of view, you get this layer, and that's where the uranium's come in and blended through. So we were looking at it and said, Well, how do we know this is the only place for the uranium? Is there something else and what's feeding this thing? So that's why we wanted to try sort of the vertical IP work. And that's where we realized that there are some fairly substantive IP targets underneath the layer. So it's like, you know, what's actually down there and what's driving this mineralization that's coming in? You know, it's it's not often that you get a uranium project with silver and, and copper in it. Uh, so trying to understand that the whole package was part of it. And then the last piece that we did was look, we said, look, the guys before us had drilled through and And not assay the bottom of the holes, um, like 30 or 40 meters. So we said, well, let's see if that gives us some free exploration. Um, And so we did. And we got gold coming up along the IP target and more importantly, along the structure. So, and that then ties to the other gold front that's sitting on the other side of us. So it's like, guys, we actually got this whole thing. So is it a property for GovX? Uh, you know, it's always going to be number three out of a, as the uranium place because the other two are just so straightforward. Right. Um, how much so how much money
0: have you spent on it? How much more money are you going to spend? Well, that, on it? That, when that do you make a
1: decision? Yeah, we spent one hundred thirty thousand dollars on that work. But yeah, I mean, it's like not not was that that's how little we've spent this year. We've got a diamond. We've got an air core drilling program, of six thousand meters going on, which is obviously trying. When we spoke to people, say, oh, you got gold soils." But, you know, th- th- we're not paying you for the upside because you might not have any. So we said, fine, we'll just do a gold program, and just kind of show. So we're doing about $300,000 worth of drilling. I mean, it's nothing. But if it shows that the Siboyaya trend comes all the way through, then obviously we're able to show players that, yes, there really is something here, guys. Um, you know, We're not going to suddenly get into in-depth Gold exploration. That's
0: not what we're about. Okay. But so at some point you're, you're working out what you do with that, but not a lot more money being spent on it. And you've got money. Yeah. And um, let's go down to Zambia and talk about Matanga, because uh, that's Uranium project number 2, potentially. It has been parked up really as it's playing a second fiddle um, to Niger. But yeah, again, it has
1: been playing a, a second fiddle to um, Niger uh, for a while. Um, obviously, we've been in Niger for a long time, so we really just had to keep that. We did the agreements in 2009, so we had to keep moving forward on that one. Um, it was a difficult year for us on that one last year because of Turundu. Uh, you know, it was and the government probably did what they needed to do anyway, because they actually cancelled, eight, I believe, 850 licenses in a day. I mean, literally just wiped them off the map. Um, And they did it via a different approach, but it it did what they needed to do. They just announced it in the Daily uh, Zambian, which nobody reads because it's the government newspaper. Um, So I I think it's got a readership of like a thousand people. Um, So uh, they cleared them out. And, you know, those are people who cared about their licenses, stood up and shouted. Um, So, you know, that's exactly what we did. We appealed. Um, We got a letter at the end of last year from the minister, which basically said, I agree with the reasons for your appeal. Uh, if you provide me the additional information I require, then I am probably going to give you a license back. Um, and uh, we have done that. And we're literally just waiting daily for feedback that we're going to get our licenses back. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, we said to him, the argument was that the reason we never built a mine was because your price just crashed. Uh, but we with Denison before us and ourselves, massively improved that project. I mean, Denison added the Dibwi East property, and then we substantially re-engineered the whole project and dropped the operating capital cost by a very large margin uh, on it as well. But despite that, you know, the uranium price went so low that even our magic was not able to, to to make it happen. And we said, but you know, we're the right guys now to get it going into the next stage. So, you know, the nice thing about Matanga is it's already. About an 11-year mine life. will produce 2.5 million pounds per annum. The, the best description I have, because it's a heaply chopper, it's an upside down ISR project. I mean, that's really all it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, once, And it's such a low stripping ratio. I mean, it, it, Dubois is a big property and your stripping ratio is like 3 to 1. And your acid consumption is less than 10 uh, for the property. So it is a really straightforward property to, to get going. It it, it follows the ISR approach of of a hub and spoke. So we have a centralized plant that does all the hard work, the two heat bleachers that just kind of produce into a prill and then bring the prill in. It works brilliantly at $55 already. Um, And uh, we have a lot of expiration upside on it. So uh, it could be expanded fairly easily. Um, Do you have to commit
0: to spend this year
1: on it as part of these discussions? Uh, It is, but it's very small. It's very small commitment to it. But this, this is the question I'm waiting to see from the minister, which is, okay, what are, what are the requirements he's going to ask of us by giving Churundu back again? I mean, the one thing about the Churundu license itself is actually a really small part of the whole property. So the absence of Churundu doesn't really affect the Matanga property itself. Um, it's a nice add-on to have, uh, but obviously we want to clean it up really from a risk perspective because once we know we've got Churundu back, Whatever rules apply there will apply to Matanga as well. So it just clarifies all our risks.
0: Do you think you're getting any valuation for that uh, given the recent uplift? No,
1: no. No, I don't think so. I don't think people only really see us for Niger and our property in Niger, but Matanga is equal to there and it's, it is really is a straightforward project. Uh, it's just been sitting as a slightly second path. But, you know, we will start doing some drilling out there soon as well and start moving it forward as a property because, you know, if the Uranium market is going to turn, then the Matanga needs to catch up um, from where it
0: needs to be. Um, and you've actually managed to get yourself on the Sol Global Uranium and Nuclear Index ETF,
1: and we got into the pure play index I saw as well. That, I so saw that, yeah. we got into both URA and HURA as a result of that. So How? we're now in a index stock.
0: <laughs> was, was that was that a lot of um, lobbying on your part, or did they invite you? No, in? no,
1: we didn't do any lobbying at all. I mean, they basically I forgot do you're it cheap. on the basis.
0: Of, <laughs> you wouldn't yeah, spend money they're, on
1: they're that. Like <laughs> they are like the cut of my jib, clearly. Um yeah. Well, no, I mean it's done on market cap and liquidity. Yeah, uh, and our market cap and liquidity is right there where it needed to be. I mean, we have, you know, the projects, permitted projects, so we do get the credit for those. Um, and and they're good projects.
0: Yeah, for for sure. Well, okay. Well, congrats on that. I mean, good cash I was in first note. It's May, it like ten months uh, ago yep. since we last spoke. But you were had your head down and busy out it. Looks like it's all paid off though. So that's good news. Um, what's 2021 hold for you, apart from waiting around for a spot price? Uh,
1: well, like always, we won't be waiting around. We try and drive our way towards it. And I certainly think the market is, is going to start delivering, as I said right at the beginning. I mean, it's just there's a lack of people in the shop. Once they all turn up to buy something, you know, everyone starts to get the stuff off the shelf and stick it from the other guy. Um, and, you know, and the price will go accordingly. Uh, for us, it's now get on and start moving these projects on. Even faster. So you know, say so Niger will get out and start drilling again. Get on with the FS Zambia. We'll start pulling it forward faster as well. And then Mali. It's really you know, what do we need to do to make it look interesting enough for somebody else to take it off our hands and give us the right
0: valuation for it? Okay, brilliant, Dan. As always, great to catch up. We'll speak soon. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Crocscast?